Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day we bring you the most noteworthy and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find a Bloomberg PL podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as at Bloomberg.com. Let's switch gears a little bit. Again, we have the Fed tomorrow. Expectations are for a rate in uh, rate cut. Let's get a sense of what the markets are positioned for. Neela Richardson, investment strategist at Edward Jones. Uh, Neela, thanks so much for joining us. What is what are you looking for tomorrow uh, out of the Fed? Hi, Paul. I, I'm looking for a return to the hard data. I really want to see what their projection for the is for the economy going forward. We've ha- we have a really mixed picture right now. Still a resilient consumer, but there's some fraying around the edges in terms of the jobs market producing the same uh, number of jobs that we saw last year. We've seen an slight uptick in delinquencies in terms of uh, credit cards and automobile loans. So I want to know, with inflation firming, another different factor since the Fed um, in June and, and, and really started us on this rate uh, cutting cycle, I want to know, has their outlook for the economy changed? So are you expecting them to actually answer that question? <laughs> well, they've, they've been pretty consistent about the economy. Uh, they've said that the economy is in good shape. And is that still their operating outlook? Is the economy still in good shape? And if so, is this next move by the Fed, whether it's a pause or a cut, is this consistent with the economy that we see before us? Or are they still looking around the corner at rising risks like a trade, which, again, we've gotten some improving, more positive rhetoric, or, or other risks that they're seeing abroad in terms of slowing growth? So, Neela, we've, you know, we're expecting, as you suggested, uh, you know, a rate cut tomorrow, a continued moderately dovish uh, Fed. We've got maybe some good news coming on some of the geopolitical fronts as it relates to trade and, you know, gosh, maybe even Brexit. The market certainly discounted that this year. Do you sense that from a valuation perspective, this market is is kind of stretched? We think that the pricing is reasonable because we're still seeing good economic fundamentals. We still see an economy that's growing, but at a slow rate. That's been very positive for equities. Very low interest rates have been positive. Monetary stimulus has been positive. And so we think it's a reason. It's not a cheap market, but it is a reasonably priced one, given what we know to be solid uh, fundamentals. And I think what we're seeing on the earnings front is validating that view. So coming up, we're going to be talking about consumer confidence, and we just got some readings showing that consumer confidence fell to the lowest since June. We've also seen delinquencies pick up if for particularly uh, auto loans and credit card loans. How does that sort of square with this idea of the strong U.S. consumer and a strong U.S. economy? Well, it goes back to my initial point that the consumer has been resilient. It's been carrying the water for this economy for 10 years. Are we starting to see a fray? And that's what we're very watchful of. Uh, if you pair that with uh, a corporate sector that's healthy, but really hasn't contributed on the growth front in terms of CapEx spending or investment, what you see, or on the fiscal side, we never got that infrastructure bill we've all been waiting for week after week. And so it's really the consumer. And while these... Uh, Spraying of the consumer might be okay if you had other players in this game. When you only have one, you're really concerned about the health of that one. Naila Richardson, thank you so much, uh, as always, for joining us. Naila Richardson is an investment strategist at Edward Jones. 
look at the consumer here and the consumer has become, you know, it is 70% of the U.S. economy and with the manufacturing sector in the U.S. Uh, showing signs of weakness, the pressure is on the consumer even more to keep this economy going forward. To get a sense, the latest read on how the consumer is doing, we welcome Lynn Franco. Lynn is the Senior Director of Economic Indicators and Surveys at the Conference Board. So, Lynn, give us the latest data that you guys have at the Conference Board on the consumer confidence. We had a marginal decrease. Confidence is now at 125.9 versus 126.3 last month. Um, but holding steady, and we think it's going to continue to prop up uh, the economy, prop up uh, growth. And, um, you know, we're, we're sort of in, in, I think, a good place right here. As consumers have sort of, you know, shrugged off all the uh, trade rhetoric. Um, there's no uh, signs here that the impeachment inquiry is having any impact on confidence overall. So I think we're in pretty good shape heading into the holiday season. I guess some people point to the unexpected decline as being somewhat worrisome. What would you tell them? We're still at a relatively uh, strong level. You know, we've been seeing sort of this same seesaw momentum for much of this year, and there's really been no sort of downward trend visible. So I think we're in a, we're in a pretty good place here. I mean, 125.9 is a relatively strong reading. And it's it's interesting, Lynn. I mean, when you think about the consumer, so much of it is, do I have a job? Am I getting raises in my job? Um, am I, you know, more or less content with where I am in terms of employment? We're in a pretty good spot right now with unemployment at you know you know fifty year lows. What what's your survey telling you about the employment situation? Um, you know, current employment situation is very good. Uh, we saw a bit of an uptick in the people telling us that, uh, you know, jobs are plentiful, a slight uptick in those telling us jobs are hard to get, but historically very strong uh, levels. They did express some mild concerns uh, going forward, um, but I think we're still in a relatively good place. I mean, we're anticipating somewhat slower employment growth going forward, but no red flags coming out of there that, you know, suddenly we're going to have a spike in, in layoffs or, or freezes. So I think it should be enough to support confidence. So we've actually seen a softening in the trade rhetoric. We know that trade tensions have weighed on consumer sentiment. What was it that was responsible for the unexpected decline this time around? It's relatively, um, you know, kind of moving sideways. Again, it was a little bit of apprehensiveness about uh, where business conditions and employment are headed. On the flip side of that, though, they're more positive about uh, their income prospects, and that should bode well for spending uh, both uh, in the holiday season, season and a little bit longer term as well. Lynn, how does your work take into account um, kind of home ownership? Because it seems like with interest rates so low here, uh, you know, people who want homes have the homes. They can trade up if, 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 they, if they want. Um, how do you guys try to capture the whole, whole home ownership thing as it relates to consumers? Well, we're trying to capture it in two ways. So, for instance, we ask a question about interest rate expectations. And for the last three months, more than a quarter of consumers are telling us that they expect a cut. So that's sort of baked into confidence, and it's a, a large increase from what we had seen in, in prior months. And in, in terms of uh, home purchasing intentions, we saw a little bit of a pickup there. And I think, you know, the decline that we're seeing in interest uh, in mortgage rates is filtering into that. And major appliance purchases, you know, the big ticket items there is pretty flat and holding at a high level. So I think, um, you know, both housing, interest rates, job growth, and wage growth should continue to support confidence for the remainder of the year. Thank you so much, Lynn Franco. Uh, we always appreciate your insights. Lynn Franco is Senior Director of Economic Indicators and Surveys at the Conference Board.
2019 was supposed to be the year of the unicorn IPO. Everybody was going to make monies. The bankers, certainly investors, maybe even the private equity folks themselves, lots of IPOs on tap, but they have been quite disappointing to date. The question is, what does that mean for the tech community and IPOs and valuations? To get some answers to those questions, we welcome Ted Smith. Ted is a co-founder and president of Union Square Advisors. So Ted, thanks so much for joining us. Just wonder if you could give us your thoughts on kind of what we saw with Uber, with Lyft, with Smile Direct, and then of course with WeWork in terms of, boy, the valuation seems to be a big gap between what the private market is valuing these companies and where the public market valuations are. Hi, Paul, and hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me on. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, yes, we've certainly seen a very interesting year uh, in the IPO markets at this point. But I also think it's important to point out there have been a number of notable successes. And there's a little bit of a, the haves and the have-nots this year. And I think there's obviously been a lot of focus on the tech unicorns. And a number of the folks that you or the companies that you just mentioned, particularly WeWork, have kind of dominated the headlines. So, uh, but despite that, I think we have an IPO market that's open and accepting um, by investors uh, for business models that are actually making money or have the opportunity to make money in the near term. So, a path to profitability that's well defined. What I think the market has risen up and said decidedly at this point is that ever widening losses or a lack of even a vision of how to get to profitability clearly is not going to be acceptable for uh, new IPO opportunities. And therefore, we've seen things like the WeWork situation crop up where simply there's just no way to get that company public in the near term. By the way, talking about WeWork just across uh, the Bloomberg, uh, we, co we Companies yes. uh, is uh, has been quietly building an electronic gaming business. Oh boy. How that fits with everything else we shall see. <laughs> see that. Anyway, I'd love to get your sense, Ted, of where you expect to see a lot of consolidation going forward. Are there particular sectors uh, that you expect uh, to be particularly active in the next couple months? Um, we certainly continue to see a lot of activity around enterprise software generally. It's been one of the arenas that has been most successful. It's certainly been one of the areas where we've seen successful IPOs this year with a number of uh, a number of really great companies coming public. It also appears to be the place where the largest tech acquirers, and that's everybody from Microsoft, Salesforce, Adobe, uh, et cetera, are continuing to focus uh, their attention, their energies, uh, and sort of next generation enterprise software. Um, it's, it's certainly a sector that's fairly highly valued, making those acquisitions um, somewhat expensive, uh, at least on a historically relative basis. But it's also um, the arena where we think the uh, global market opportunities are the largest, and therefore we think where both uh, corporate acquirers, like some of those that I mentioned, as well as the large private equity firms that focus on that arena, are likely to continue to, to be very focused on uh, acquiring interesting businesses. So, Ted, I know you folks at Union Square really focus on the technology sector, and we've seen, you know, I would say, a little bit of a sea change maybe over the last year or two, whereby the U.S. regulators, U.S. Congress, are really taking a look at the technology sector from a regulatory perspective. That's kind of new. Are you sensing that that's kind of impacting the tech uh, business, whether it's startups or even some of the bigger, more established companies? Well, it's certainly causing the bigger, more established companies to try to figure out how to deal with this sea change, right? This is the, for, to your point, this is kind of the first time in several years that the largest tech companies have kind of been in the crosshairs of the regulators and Congress and presidential candidates kind of all at the same time. Uh, this is a, this is a, pretty interesting topic uh, for a lot of folks right now, and it's one that, that sort of continually seems to rise uh, rise above the fold. So what we're seeing from the largest companies is, is um, 
some ongoing thoughtfulness, if you will, about can M&A be pursued in certain arenas uh, and not put them even further uh, into those crosshairs. But I think they're they're firmly there now. Um, the, I was at an interview last week with uh, the chief of the DOJ enforcement issue where he basically said that uh, all options are on the table with respect to the largest tech companies um, and how we may think about um, dealing with the bad behavior that has come to light over the course of uh, of the last uh, two to two to three years. So I think they're clearly on notice with respect to the their act activities in a number of ways, how they handle personal data, uh, how they deal with the freedom of speech issues, uh, how they deal with putting their thumb on the scale with respect to various business activities. I think to, to the point that I made, everything is on the table. And so I think those largest tech companies are taking that into consideration. What does that mean for startups? What does that mean for newer companies? Well, it may mean opportunity for them uh, as they're able to go into markets that might have been uh, otherwise dominated by these, these larger players. But I also think there's the question of what does it mean for innovation. Uh, and if we somehow put the regulatory shackles on these uh, largest tech companies, does it, in fact, crimp their ability uh, to uh, really significantly innovate from here, which is uh, very important for, for this country and for the tech sector generally? Ted Smith, thank you so much for being with us. Ted Smith, co-founder and president of Union Square Advisors, definitely has been an active year uh, for IPOs and for M&A. The question is going forward, how much that can continue in light of some sort of rockier receptions that we've gotten. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. I'm Lisa Abramowitz. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz 1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.